it's hard when we have this belief that we are not to be trusted with food or that we can't, you know, hit the off switch. That's only real if we believe that there is, in fact, an off switch or that there needs to be. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. A skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. What to call this episode? I'm going to tell you I have about eight things that are going through my mind the algorithm repair, the lure of clean eating, and the cool kids club. Being rebellious over and over again. I did all the things and I still have a chronic disease. Or nine cups of vegetables and organ meats later and I'm still sick. Nutrition fear mongering, it could be any of these things. Anna Sweeney is a gem and she is someone who I recommend everyone follow on social media to help repair any algorithms that might lead you away from yourself and to falling into the dieting rabbit hole. So this podcast is for professionals and Anna has a lot of nuggets that we get to share with our clients. Those are the things that are really valuable to us as professionals is what we can share with our clients. So she says to start with anything that has to do with health at every size, teaching our clients about body wisdom, reclaiming their body expertise and intuitive eating. So you can find her on virtual connection and her Instagram is really just a wealth of of information. So it's at dietitian Anna. Well, hello. Today we are here with Anna Sweeney, registered dietitian, certified eating disorder, RD, and supervisor. Welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) I feel like I say this with all of our guests that I'm fangirling, but oh my gosh, Anna Sweeney, getting to talk to you is so exciting. (laughs) Beth and I were going through your Instagram today and it was like making me even more nervous to talk to you, but I think this is going to go great. We do have a few icebreakers for you. Are you ready? I'm so ready. All right. So our first one, do you prefer mountains or beach? Um, Mountains. It's a a hard question because disabled person, so both are hard, but mountains. Mm. Big skies. Mm -hmm. You have something called inaccessible views that are beautiful scenery everywhere in the world, right? Totally true. No, that those are saved on my Instagram highlights. And there are, I think we're now into like 700 different videos and photos. And they've been viewed like 10,000 times. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably going to cool down now that the pandemic is changing and people can go outdoors. But most of those videos make me cry because it's just like, oh my God, I want to do that. And I want to see it. But thank you so much for taking me outside. Mm-hmm. That's so great. I didn't know about that, but I'll have to go check it out on your Instagram. Yes, you will. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. And then breakfast or dinner? 
Dinner. What's your dinner. perfect dinner? The thing is, like, I like everything. I like all of the foods. So I think it's more about the company than it is actually about what I'm eating specifically. Uh, a meal with some laughs and connection. And I can eat, you know, something really simple or something really sophisticated. All food, except for salmon, which I know as a dietitian, like I... Supposed <laughs> to like salmon or something Whatever. and smoked foods. All foods, but salmon and smoked food, they're good foods for yeah. me. Yeah, awesome. Okay, and last one is audiobook or paper book? Paper, but not paper. Kindle because dexterity issues with real books. Historically, it would have been real books. I had a real resistance to Kindle when they first came out because I was like, who's going to read on this flat thing? And now having something that I can just tap and the page move. Super helpful. Mm, interesting. So the dexterity issues help bring that. Okay. Oh, well, this, this changing disease. So fun. And we're going to ask, get into that more too about your changing disease, multiple sclerosis. And I want to take you back because our listeners include people who are in school, people who are brand new to the field, as well as very seasoned professionals, all professionals. And so I'm going to take you back and hopefully not too traumatizing, but to your exam day for the registered dietitian exam. What do you remember about that day? Was it a number two pencil or was it a computer? Computer, computer. The thing that I remember the most was after I passed, the screen went black. And even though I knew that was going to happen, sitting in front of a black screen for like 10 seconds is horrible. I don't know why that happened. I don't know if it still does. It doesn't, it doesn't do that anymore, but that that's does so happen. nice. That's so <laughs> nice. And I'm sure the exam itself is much more, I mean, yeah, but that's, that's what I remember. I remember being on a computer, the screen went black and I'm just waiting to know if I passed or if I didn't. Mm -hmm. You know, when we were, um, when we were chatting before I hit record, we were talking about encyclopedias and the photo of this podcast uh, episode, or not the episode, but of me and Abby, and I'm holding an encyclopedia cookbook. It's my mom's and it's been passed down from generations of paper. It's yellowed, it's falling apart, mm -hmm. and she's using her computer or something electronic for her recipes. And that just shows, you know, the difference of you did yours on a computer, but you had that 10 second, like, ah. Abby, who's most recently taken her exam, said that that has changed. So things change all the time. Totally. All right. Well, how'd you get into the field of eating disorders? So my younger sister, I was diagnosed with MS when I was 15. And I became aware of Katie struggling with an eating disorder when I was a senior in high school. I was 17. And Katie was an avid journaler. And her journal was open. I was taking her to the mall. But the journal said, well, I guess I have an eating disorder. I got her into my car. We're driving to the mall. I'm yelling at her. Oh, my God, Katie, why would you do this? You're so beautiful. You're so smart. You're so good at sports. Everybody likes you. What are you doing to yourself? Speaking to my youth, but also ignorance, because I was not affected by an eating disorder personally. And I didn't have a number of people that were close to me that had eating disorders. So... My original dream was to be a sports broadcast journalist, you know, on like at the, not at the Olympics, but like a lady on a football field interviewing athletes. 
And then I stopped being able to wear high heels and like my MS shifted. I transferred from a communications focus to a, a different college. And I interacted with my sister after having not seen her for a month, really not recognizing her. And I'm not speaking about physically. I'm speaking about like Katie was just a shell of herself. And so I, I took my first nutrition class and I really, really, really loved it. And I decided that I was going to be an eating disorder dietitian. And I graduated from college in two and a half years. Yeah, I know. Stupid. Don't do that. If you're listening to this podcast, (laughs) don't, don't do that. But I did it all the while at the time saying like, I want to do this work before I can't do this work never really thinking that I would acquire disability, not having, I mean, I I was a 19 year old. I couldn't possibly have known what was to come. What's really cool. Like I've, I've had from a diagnosis perspective, I've had a mask for 20 years. This is, this has been hanging out for a long time, but I'm really grateful that I so expeditiously did my undergrad and my master's degree and my internship because it has given me the opportunity to be on, you know, this podcast. I've had, I've had great experiences that have allowed me to transition exclusively into private practice. And to be quite frank with you, were it not for my disability, I'm much, I, I wouldn't have left the residential job that I was in when I left it, but I am, again, I'm, I am just very grateful for the opportunities that I've had. So was residential your first job out of, it wasn't. Okay. What was that? So I finished my, at the end of our internship, very good fortune. I, there was a job posting for a per diem dietitian at an eating disorder program in the area. And I was like, yep, that's what I want. So I met, I met with the guess the director of nutrition services at the program and I got the job and it was supposed to be like 10 hours, 15 hours a week, whatever. It pretty instantaneously, I was pulled on full time. I started in partial and IOP, but relatively quickly, I was pulled on to the inpatient units and the covered, covered in resi. Uh, at my first job, residential really wasn't part of my my clinical experience, but something that was 20 hours a week or laid out to be 20 hours a week. And in a matter of several years, I was the director of the department. Awesome. Yeah. Being in the right place at the right time and just being persistent too. I would love to Lucky. go back. Yeah, it is. I mean, I really feel Lucky. The same way, I, we mm-hmm. just can't sometimes plan these things. And I wanted to go back to something you said about your sister, if you don't mind. You didn't recognize her, and then you made sure that we knew it wasn't physical. It was your sister, like her mm-hmm. shell of a person. And when we're talking about your disability, and I tell people who come into my office, I say you can sit in the waiting room all day long and see and see people and have no idea what's happening for them. Mm-hmm. You, we cannot make a judgment. So you knew your sister well. What, what did you mean by I didn't recognize her? She was just really inside herself. Like I, I it was clear. And I, and I say that 
also acknowledging that by the time I came back from being away for a semester, I was aware that my sister was struggling. So I had seen the journal entry mm-hmm. and I am certain that I was witnessing her with a lot more attention. So I don't actually want to call out specific behaviors, sure. but yeah, Katie wasn't happy. She wasn't laughing. Okay. She was isolating. Mm-hmm. It's just, she wasn't, she wasn't Kate. Yeah. She was a shell of herself. As you said, wasn't happy, wasn't laughing. And that's one thing you said about dinner is that that's what gets you. That's what makes you love it is who you're mm-hmm. with the joy that Mm -hmm. you can have with that. So eating disorders rob the joy out of everything, everything. Yeah. Well, and so just like Beth said, the eating disorder robs it, but something that you post a lot about now, and I'm sure has changed since you got into the field, but just diet culture in general can rob Mm -hmm. you from enjoying food and life and all of that. So how Mm -hmm. have you noticed diet culture changing since you started in the field? So it's, I mean, it's really funny. I'm trying to like plot out timelines of things without making myself feel and sound very old. But I think that when I finished my DI, like Facebook had been around, there was no Instagram. Facebook was the only, Facebook Like, that's what I kind of recall is Facebook being a thing, but it wasn't really so much about companies using it for selling or individuals pushing things. The struggle was mostly like, I'm witnessing my best friend from high school post pictures of her body, which looks exactly the same as it did in high school. And I have feelings about it. Right. And so navigating those things, that's, that's really different eating disorders themselves are not so characterologically different than they were when I first started in the field and long before I became a practitioner in this field. Except we now carry computers in our hands all the time. Whereas, and I was referencing this earlier, when I was a child, we had, I don't know, like 27 book encyclopedia. Like if you want knowledge, look in a book yeah. and now you can go on Google and there are 7,000 experts who may or may not be experts in anything. And it doesn't actually matter, but there are powerful voices on the internet and on apps. And some of it is about like espousing messages about particular things. Like clean eating is like my least least favorite thing because it's just so dumb and so not actually a thing but when messages are espoused over and over and over again particularly and this I think is the more abusive part of it by generally white cis het thin women toned men and I I specify their physique because messages are received more readily by by them, I believe. And I also need to acknowledge my thin privilege in some of the receipt of my messages as well. But it's just everywhere. Yeah. And if everyone is saying that this is a thing, 
then everyone must be right, right? Because it's not, it's not one person, it's every person has this belief. And this is, and this is why we're seeing eating disorders in much, much younger people. And I, I worked, I was, I developed an adolescent eating disorder treatment program on the first inpatient unit I worked on. And that was 12 years ago, but this is a different game because everyone is carrying a computer and everyone has access to bodies that may or may not be authentically bodies and stories about how people take care of themselves as though if she takes care of herself and looks one way and I take care of myself, I should look like the message an underlying message is eat like me, move like me, look like me, which is, is, you know, is just a falsehood, but navigating that is so, so tricky. So we have, we acknowledge like eating, sorry, Beth, I'm going to let you talk in a second, but eating disorders as biopsychosocial conditions, there are certainly are still humans who develop eating disorders for completely biological reasons, right? Like their brains are wired in a particular way that makes them vulnerable, or they have experienced some event, whatever it is, that makes them predisposed. But in terms, of, but I, I believe the social part of eating disorder development is happening at a, at a faster pace now. I don't, I don't have any reason to say that. There's no, like, I've never read a study about that. But I am just assuming, based on the nature of comparison, that there's a heck of a lot more of that happening now than has ever been before. Absolutely. And look, I know that I have, I want to definitely come back to eat like me, move like me and look like me. And I also want to go back to the encyclopedia because I, Mm -hmm. you and I share that experience. When I started in the inpatient world in 1993, we didn't have, we had computers, they had the amber screen, they had the connected paper that had the holes on the side. And so I would tell my, my patients, you are a walking encyclopedia. You have, your head is full of knowledge. And now, I mean, I had to catch myself several years back and say, well, you Beth, you can't say that anymore. So you're walking Google page or walking my fitness pal or whatever it may be. So bringing us back to that, the social aspect is probably compelling these faster. I don't have any research on that either, but my, my belief is that it makes it harder for people who have that biological piece. So eat like me, move like me, look like me. Mm. Wow. Were you ever caught up in any, like, let me get this diet stuff. I I listened to your, um, you're on lots of podcasts, but one with Dr. Josh Woolrich, how you mm-hmm. talked about how you were going to cure your MS. Oh yeah. That was a fun time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, as a human with thin privilege, I I've never dieted, but there was that one time when a woman published a book that said how I healed myself of progressive multiple sclerosis and I read it and there was research and I tried it and shit I hope I can say that yeah, I still have MS, mm-hmm. but what a devastating lesson to learn that I, you know, I couldn't change the trajectory of my disease by virtue of how I fed myself, at least not in a prescriptive way like that. And it actually made me very upset 
to see that she keynoted Fancy. There are a lot of dietitians who are talking to their clients with chronic illnesses, telling them eat nine cups of vegetables a day as a start. Wow. Like that's a big problem. I, and I that, that's like wellness culture in dietetics. In dietetics. And you may know about this, but I'm able to speak now, but it's 20 years in the making. And finally, ASCEND is approving a weight-inclusive toolkit that's going to be required for all dietetic students. Amazing. Yeah. So, but that's not going to change the, fan, the I don't know, sexiness of bringing in people like that sure. into sure. some of these symposiums. I and mean, I'm seeing this a ton with right now intermittent fasting. And you mentioned mm. clean eating. It's like, what is so amazing about that, that people, and they're, they're citing research, but we know that that research isn't really causative. Research. Yeah. Right. So with the MS, like what were some of the things that, that, that book told you would cure your MS? It was nine cups of different colors of vegetables a day, three cups of leafy greens, three cups of colorful, like heats and carrots and mushrooms and things that are, oh, no, 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 sorry. And three cups of sulfur rich vegetables. So that was mushrooms. It was organ meats. I made hearts. I made livers. I hate awful. I think organ meat is not, is not my preference. Um, so salmon, smoked food and organ meats, not, not a thing that I enjoy. Seaweed, you know, like a, a, a bunch yeah. of stuff yeah. that, wasn't actually in my life before. And it was the first time ever that I wasn't eating intuitively. And come the end of the experience, and I'm like, I just, because I, I actually will tell you, before I made the choice to go on this diet, I actually went to my supervision group, which is made up of several very, very, very experienced, very well-known practitioners, dietitians in the greater Boston area and asked them what their thoughts were because I've spent so much of my career and so much of my life saying to my clients, eat everything and eating with my clients with celebration, right? And so this, after I left residential and was in a different role for the organization, I was just dealing with my private practice clients. And so now it was like, I can't eat with you but getting permission, I, I sought out permission from them. And they all said, Anna, like, of course, do everything that you can do. And so, I mean, so that was a really, that was very meaningful to me to have people sign off. And I still have MS, mm-hmm. but that's expensive. It's expensive and hugely privileged eating. I, I recall my my then neurologist asking me to come speak to a group of people with MS about nutrition. And her underlying message was persistently, I mean, she, she remarked about my body size on a number of occasions saying like, we should get you in here to talk to people to help them lose weight as though, I mean, I am supremely disabled I have thin privilege for decades on both sides of my family, which is the reason that I am thin, right? It is not because I do a thing for thinness or I don't eat for thinness. It is just because of biology. 
And so when I heard minor all, and I actually fired her after this, but when she asked me to come in and speak about weight loss specifically for people who are largely immobilized and don't have access to food in the same way that I am privileged to have, like what an uninsightful and really hurtful thing mm. to have like your neurologist prescribing. And if, you know, I got duped by this thing, right? then everybody can be duped. I, I wonder if that neurologist had any, what they considered to be evidence or research on this, because we know that we're trying to teach people that the world is not flat. Mm-hmm. It's so hard for them to know to understand the world is actually round that, that people size that like size, I, I hadn't heard that about MS and, you know, weight connection or anybody making that before. In chronic illness, that's everywhere. Uh, fat phobia, fat phobia and weight stigma is everywhere in every situation all of the time. It just goes back to how weight loss is quote unquote, a cure all for everything. Mm-hmm. We just have to get away from that perspective. Yeah. It's yeah. just not a thing, but it, it doesn't matter because it's being harped on by the most educated expert people. And so if your medical doctor is saying this thing, and then you find a dietitian who's saying, you know, they're right. And then you go on the internet and they're, you're definitely right. Right. Like you have to make these, you have to make these changes. Yeah. Yeah. So I am, have a graduate elective course, and one of the things that you just said today about going on the internet and people finding resources that way, one of the assignments is to find an influencer, and probably most people who come into the class have already followed people on some social media platform or another, so they can choose that person, and they have to explain to the class and themselves why that person is legit. This, the social media piece of that is really, really hard. And the organ meats and the vegetables and all of that, because you had never dieted for weight loss in the past, you still have that understanding of like what it's like to be manipulating your diet for one reason or another and not liking those foods anymore or not liking them. Absolutely. I mean, uh, eating brings me great joy. And it was the first time that I was not eating intuitively. And it was the first time that eating was not joyous. It was cumbersome and laborious and very, very specifically task oriented. Well, and just like you mentioned earlier, where all of us, especially kiddos these days are walking around with phones in our hands. And so they're getting hit almost immediately with, you can't eat intuitively. You have to be eating this way. And the long-term effects of this are really going to start showing up more and more in every single way. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very frightening. Yeah. I work with a lot of pediatrics now and it's tough. Oh my gosh. It's so tough to see. Like somebody made a post about this. Maybe it was you, but somebody recently about, can we not just let kids get through their kid years, their teenage years without having to worry about their body? And if it's, quote unquote, good or whatever. Can we just let them live their lives? Mm-hmm. And the nice thing is that somebody is posting about that. And the sh- really not nice thing is that there are a million more interesting 
more flirty influencer, whatever people on the internet that are saying other things. And goes back to, you said, when the doctor says it, it makes you believe it. So when a kid hears their pediatrician say it, and then if a dietitian or somebody else confirms it, and then their parents confirm it, and then social media confirms it, it's no wonder that this happens. Not even a little bit. So the phrase I want to kind of hone in on is that food cannot cure or kill. And that is what social media people will take on something and say, you know, there's superfoods or there's this or there's that. And you, you know, I I really love how you calmly just said, and I still haven't. Okay. So I was um, with some friends this weekend and one of them unfortunately has a friend who's in stage four cancer, esophageal cancer. And they were asking me, what are some supplements? What are some foods that, that this person can have? And so my question back was, what is the purpose of those foods? Um, so is it to cure? Is it to stop progression? Is it to stop pain? Is it so, you know, food can be functional and eating can be pleasurable. Like you said, eating brings me great joy. When my mom was in her last days, some of the family was trying to give her insure. And I just looked at them and I said, why? And they said, because it has protein in it. And I said, does she like it? So I guess going back to that clean eating, what do you think about that? Why do you think it's picked up so much? I made a reel about this on Instagram that I actually think is quite clever. The fact is like what we are seeing as, as clean eating is just like fruits and vegetables and brightly colored foods that people want to take pictures of and share with their neighbors and their friends. The gentleman who wrote the book on orthorexia, Stephen, Steve Breitman, Dr. Stephen Breitman talked about like the introduction of clean eating as being something that was perhaps like historically derived, something that happened like in the seventies or more recently, there was a bodybuilder out of Canada who published a book about clean eating and like athletics and like how they won some championship. And it's really catchy, right? When you put those two words together and we suggest that there is, I mean, this is problematic in so, 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 so many ways. But when you put those two words together and then you flash a really attractive person, mostly in athletic clothes, mostly demonstrating that they can eat brightly colored plates of food and describe that as clean, we aren't thinking about access. We are not thinking about privilege. We are talking, we are looking at that which we perhaps should or feel we should aspire to. Clean eating isn't isn't a thing, right? Definitionally doesn't have a definition except to say that it is, I, I, I imagine like Wikipedia would say it's about minimally processed whole foods, right? Cool. Yeah. Cool. But like I live in new England and if I were living hundreds of years ago, I would have produce for one season. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I would eat potato. Like our bodies are just so much more, resilient Mm -hmm. than what the internet suggests that they are. And it's very, it's, it's just super frustrating for me. 
I'm kind of correlating clean eating, like such a sexy term like that with organic, non-GMO, all natural. Mm -hmm. I think all of those just fall in the same bank. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Free of X, Y, and Z. And it's like the gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, dye, like it's all of the things, like Mm -hmm. all of the fear-mongering put into a sexy package that says, it's not even with fear mongering attached to it necessarily. It's just saying, if you want to be healthy, if you want to be in the cool kid club, if you want to take the best care of yourself, you would be silly to not eat quote unquote clean. Um, My grandparents didn't like that expression would mean nothing to them. Exactly. Right? And and I'm here. Holy shit. I made it. <laughs> You're still here. Yeah. They didn't die. They didn't die. Their ancestors made it without that concept. Yeah. And you mentioned something about the cool kid club. And that is something that we all have a need for connection. And so by diets and diet talk and clean junk, I, the, that's a way to connect with people, but it's a very Absolutely. surface level. Mm-hmm. So is there something that you help your clients? Is there a way that you help them start to make that shift? To be really frank. I mean, yes, of course. But I think this is a process. I think that one, being able to identify the difference between messages that are actually in our best interest and messages that are about selling things or messages that are about eliciting comparison, I usually start there. And I get really curious about what clean eating actually means to a person. If they say, I feel better when I eat eat clean, I'm not going to suggest like, you don't, that's not, that's not a thing. But I get really curious about what that means to them. And, you know, really thinking about how did, how did you get to this you know, to this day without eating clean, like historically, how, how did your body do that? And also like social comparison theory is certainly a thing that applies here. If you live in a community that values, you know, what other people think about what you are doing, this is even more challenging. And particularly for humans who live in oppressed bodies mm. to suggest that they by virtue of having challenges, whatever that means, by opting out of, you know, eating clean, they are subject to more discrimination and poor care. And for me, and I, I don't talk about myself. I mean, I talk about myself on podcasts so people can know me, but being able to witness a human kind of really get in touch with what feels good to my body, what, what gives me energy, what leaves me feeling well. And for some people, it might include foods that fit into the clean eating category. But if we can acknowledge, like it doesn't need a category for it to be a food that you enjoy. And naturally, and like what I hate hearing is stuff about sugar and if I didn't have rules around food, I would just eat X, Y, and Z all day. And my question is always like, okay, let's play it out. Tell me like the, if I said you can eat donuts, 
let's go through a day of eating donuts. So in the morning, we're going to have a couple donuts because like, yes, we're starting our day with donuts. And this is super exciting to have permission to do this. And then morning snack, we have donut holes. And then lunch, we have donuts again. And, you know, so on and so forth. And by the end of the day, like, how do you think you would feel? And most of the clients are not, not most, every single person I've ever asked that question of is like, no, really not well. Yeah. It's not because of the judgment we have about donuts. It's because our bodies require a diversity, a diverse range of foods, assuming they are accessible to us for us to feel, you know, the most well, as, as well as possible. And it's hard when we have this belief that we are not to be trusted with food or that we can't, you know, hit the off switch. That's, that's, that's only real if we believe that there is in fact an off switch or that there needs to be. Yeah. Oh, this is so great. I reminded of a research that a professor did for college age students the first month of their freshman year. They could have all the pizza they wanted. And this is a podcast for professionals. So we can talk diet numbers. We can talk food specific. We can say whatever we want. And so the pizza then, and all these freshmen are saying, cool, you know, I get all the pizza I want. And by the end of the second week and before that, for many of them, they were so tired of pizza. So it goes along with your donut idea and you're, you're having your clients experiment with what that would be like Mm -hmm. for them. And it is like you said, a process. Totally. And it's, you know, holding a lot of space for the fact that a client who's working to move away from wellness culture is rebelling against everything that the people around them are doing. And that by itself is you know, that's a big ask. That's super challenging. And so huge. It, it really is about holding space and asking my clients to just be rebellious over and over and over again. So great. We have kind of a little bit of a wrap up question and then I'll ask you how everybody can get a hold of you. But taking yourself back to entering the field of eating disorders, mm. what do you wish you would have known then that you do know now? Anything about health at every size at all. Anything about trusting our clients' bodies and our clients' wisdom in comparison to us as, you know, the ever expert. And I didn't get anything about intuitive eating in my, in my training. But again, I think it's just because when I was trained, and I think it still happens now, like I'm certain it still happens now, we are espoused as the nutrition experts. And so our clients are thereby unable to care for, for themselves effectively or with expertise or particular nuance. And that's just a lie. And being able to help my clients, our clients, social media, reclaim the expertise that they actually have, it feels really important me. And I didn't get any of that in my internship, which is why I scream about it so loudly on the internet. (laughs) Yeah. And this is a big piece of this podcast is really like, that's why we ask this question so that people don't have to start from square one. Mm -hmm. Um, They can learn from the wisdom of different seasonings and different timeframes and different experiences that we all have. 
Yeah. Or like you say, Anna, relearn. I mean, that can almost yes. be even harder having yes. to relearn all of it. Right. Um, it's unlearning. It's unlearning first mm-hmm. and then relearning. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think we're getting somewhere. I think we're starting to get more haze, more so into eating. So do I. We'll keep building Slowly, it's slowly. Yep. Right. So where can people find you, your Instagram handles, website, things like that? I am at Dietitian Anna on Instagram. That's the best place to find me. My my website is wholeliferd.com, but there's nothing for you on my website in this moment. I will be soon transitioning virtual connection from Instagram live to a Zoom platform so that I can start seeing people's faces again. And actually not even again. I've done this 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 week was 73 weeks of virtual connection. And I haven't seen any of these people, but there are, I think I get about 2000 views a week. I don't anticipate that 2000 people are going to purchase the Zoom experience, but there are some loyalists that I'm actually really looking forward to meeting face-to-face. Yeah. Yeah. Can you just briefly talk about virtual, the connections and what that's, yeah. Sure. So I closed my office on a Thursday of the pandemic. And as I was watching the news and hearing about like grocery stores being emptied and food scarcity, like I had my own food scarcity moment because like I couldn't get my food delivered. And as a disabled person, I have food delivered from my grocery store to my house, take one step out of the process. And I couldn't, I couldn't get food. Speaking with my clients who were saying, I can't get my safe foods. I can't get my alternate to the safe foods. I am stuck with this new thing and all, I mean, it wasn't fear mongering until about 12 days into the pandemic. Cause we were all trying to just like understand what was happening, but it was pretty quick that diet culture started popping in saying like, here's your online workout and boost your immunity by eating. Blah, 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 blah. And so I created virtual connection and I invited five, uh, four other dietitians. So there was an hour every single week that was being devoted to holding space for folks recovering from eating disorders and navigating diet culture. And I haven't stopped. Haley Goodrich had a child, so she stopped when she had her baby, but she and I had, had kind of continued the virtual connection experience. It's been an hour of my week since, since the pandemic. And I, you know, this, this was a really not a great time for folks navigating eating disorder recovery. There was a lot of scary stuff. Mm-hmm. One thing that stands out to me is that you were doing something very normal. You were eating pizza and someone said, it's so good to see a person eating pizza, like a human eating pizza, mm-hmm. like something simple like that. But you are that platform that people could find that space. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, and that will still, eating will still be part of virtual connection, even though it's going to be, I I can't see what anybody else is eating, but I get messages all the time. People do eat with me. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Anna. Absolutely. My pleasure. This was lovely. Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at BethHarrell.com slash professionals.